Welcome to Well, I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. I can honestly say that every one of my guests has highlighted something new about the condition, about life, about what's important in it. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum Kay lived with vascular dementia for her last 10 years. Her diagnosis came about in the wake of a terrible crisis and when it did, my family and I knew nothing about the condition. Now though, through my writing and campaigning, I know so much more about dementia. I know now that it's possible to live a decent, if changed, life post-diagnosis. I know it's down to society, to all of us, to help those with the condition live better, more fulfilled lives, and I know that it's often the smallest things that make the most difference. The poet Sylvia Plath wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how much a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. Dementia teaches you this too. I love today's guest. I love all my guests, of course. But today's marks a first. Los Angeles-based filmmaker, actor, writer, podcaster, multi-award winner Susie Singer-Carter is my first guest to provide her own intro. So I can do no better than to read out lock, stock and smoking barrel what she wrote to me in response to my normal email request to tell me a bit about herself. So here you are. If you asked five-year-old Susie what she wanted to be when she grew up, she'd have placed her hands on either side of her pink tutu and proclaimed, everything, duh, and been 100% right. Besides ballet, Susie says, I spent my childhood as a gymnast, an entrepreneur selling my toys door to door. Debate champion, party planner, flag twirler and cheerleader while surviving my parents' divorce and my father's untimely death in a plane crash. While studying journalism at UCLA, I hosted a radio show, modelled, married and sang in a pop group produced by Chuck Lorre. That Chuck Lorre. After college, I had a baby, back surgery, opened a handmade jewellery store, acted in TV and film and then decided I wanted to create the projects instead. I worked in development, launched my production company, divorced, remarried, had another baby, wrote and produced two CBS tween shows. Following that chapter, I became my mother's caregiver, a spokesperson for Alzheimer's, wrote a screenplay for Lionsgate, and co-produced a feature for Sony, divorced again, took up hip hop, signed a deal with Fox, wrote, produced and directed a pilot with Brian Cranston, two documentaries for Women's History Month and an award-winning film that took me around the world. And still, there's so much more to do. I'm thankful for the fearless five-year-old me whose bold declaration continues to shape my voice and fuel my passion to write. So, in all honesty, I could leave it there. This is Pippa again now. But I just want to add, that when Susie says she directed a pilot with Brian Cranston, that is the Brian Cranston of mega TV hit series Breaking Bad, that as well as becoming her mother Norma's caregiver when she developed Alzheimer's, Susie launched the award-winning podcast Love Conquers Owls, that she wrote and directed an Oscar-qualified short film about Norma's dementia called My Mum and the Girl, starring the late Valerie Harper, aka Rhoda of Mary Tyler Moore fame, in her last poignant, wonderful performance. For those of us old enough to remember the Mary Tyler Moore show, believe me, that is big. 
My Mum and the Girl is funny, moving, profound. I see it as a 20-minute celluloid love story from a daughter to her mum. And I strongly encourage everyone to watch it. Susie Singer Carter, all the way from Los Angeles. I'm completely delighted to welcome you to Well, I Know Now. <laughs> Hi, good morning from Los Angeles. Wow. I'm already in love with you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we can take this off air if you like. Um, no, I, well, and, and it's six o'clock here. It's really strange. We've just said it's an eight-hour difference. Big, big difference. It really is. Mm. It really is. It's a different headspace, you know? That's what you have to remember when you're speaking to someone across the pond. You're like, we're just starting, you know? It really yeah. is a, a total different headspace, right? It is. It is, because actually I saw an email this morning, my morning, I don't know, about eight o'clock or something, and you said, so I'm looking forward to, to speaking to you tomorrow, and I did I thought tomorrow she's speaking to me today and I thought yes. ah but it's not her today yet <laughs> exactly exactly yeah 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 it's, it is so funny because I'm a late nighter as you know because I think we communicated it was like 2 a.m my time yeah that's right I mean can I tell everybody that that was not me because I said to you didn't I what are you doing replying it what time is it and you said <laughs> 2 a.m but I'm, I'm about to go to bed honestly <laughs> I, yeah, it's my best time. I don't know. Everything, hmm. all cylinders are, are really working well. I have to force myself to go to sleep. I really do. Hmm. I don't know what it is. I'm a night person. You're a night owl. I really am. And then when I have to go into production, it's hmm. so bad because hmm. production starts so early. Yeah. So it really rocks my world in a bad way. Tricky, but yeah. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, though, to get going on our, on our chat, can you tell all of us about your incredible mum. One thing you wrote to me was that she had a delicious appetite for everything, which I thought was a great phrase, actually, a delicious appetite for everything. And you had an early memory yes. of her, you know, when you're about three years old, you, and you used to dance oh, with her. God, just, yeah. Tell us about your mum. Okay. My mom, I just loved so much about her and her ability to approach the world fearlessly. Mm. And she was five foot tall mm. and always a little curvy little thing. Mm -hmm. And I say this with the utmost respect. She had more game with men than I did all the way to the end <laughs> that I do have ever had in my life with a look, with one little old look. Yeah. Because she has that magic. She had yeah. that magic. And it was classy. It wasn't like, it wasn't a, come on, baby. It was mm. just... Men tripped over her. Mm. Going back to her as a little girl, she was an operatic auteur, and she was a protege of one of the most famous opera teachers, singing teachers, when she was nine years old. I mean, she was born with such an amazing instrument, mm. and her voice was that. And when she was 16, she had her own radio show in New York City on CBS radio. And then when she moved to California with her mom and stepdad, and... Um, she went to Fairfax High and ended up working at different clubs at night singing jazz, like more contemporary jazz. And that's where she met my father, who was a jazz musician and also was, a, was an audio engineer and an innovator of sound. So my dad invented the conversion of mono to stereo. He built A&M wow. Records, which was Herb Albert and Jerry Moss. And Holy. it's a cute story if you have a second, but my dad was, you know, also just a ADD type of personality and ha and was, you know, very much a snob, an audio snob, right? Mm -hmm. My mom, which I, I inherited this from her, was often late at certain things. And she, she showed up late for the rehearsal. Mm -hmm. And um, his bandmates said, 
you know, the singer's here, we need to rehearse. And he said, nah, she can do it on her own. She's late, right? <laughs> and when he heard her warming up, he, yeah. he fainted. He said, who is this woman? I need wow. to know her. And uh, first he married her. Then he brought her to Capitol Records and they signed her straight wow. away. Golly. Yeah. So anyway, that's the story of mom, you know, in terms of just doing what she wanted to do. And, and, yes. and what really identifies her is that when she got her deal at Capitol, they wanted to send her on the road right away. And she said at the time, all of the musicians were heroin addicts and alcoholics, and it wasn't her life. Mm. This was her. This is her voice. I'm just, this is not my opinion. <laughs> I've just been gone to it. But for her, it wasn't the life that she wanted. And she happily just passed on it, mm. which Incredible, always really. to my life, mm. I said, how did you pass on yes. that, Mom? Didn't it just make you like regret? And she said, not a second. I know I can, I can sing anytime I want to. Mm. You know, she, mm. it wasn't the lifestyle she wanted. Mm. And it's interesting. My daughter's inherited the same thing. She's literally from 19... One of the first songs she wrote and produced with the, um, I don't know if the Marias are very big in, in the UK yet, but they were up for two Grammys this year. They're really, really big. And the person who created the band and produces the band and is in the band, mm. Josh Conway, his mom and I were pregnant at the same time. And he and my daughter wrote five songs at 19 years old. And every single one of them has been placed in a movie or TV and whatever. Incredible. And my daughter doesn't want it. She's huh? just, it's not for me. Like huh? she's just passed on that career. And I, and here's Susie, you know, at 18, when you're recording with Chuck Lorre and going, I want to be a star. Mm. How do you know, like, make us a star? And, and my daughter so much like my mother was like, yeah, it's not for me. Yes. You skipped a generation, which it often does, doesn't it? Yeah. So you are very like your mother in other ways though, aren't you? You've obviously got a lot of her spirit and her joie de vivre. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That's a compliment. Thank you. And, you know, tell us about when her dementia began to develop and how it developed and what you saw. And I mean, <sighs> actually, we'll get on to the film, which I really want to talk about. It's the most fantastic yes. short film. And really, Thank I you. think you get a tremendous flavour of your mum. I mean, Valerie Harper, when you just said about how good she was with men and just with a look, I mean, Valerie Harper does that on the bus, doesn't she? Doesn't <laughs> just a look she? And, yeah. Didn't she embody my mother? Well, I never met your mum, but now you're talking about your mum, I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, she really obviously oh. did. Well, I can't wait to rave about Val when we talk about the movie because she is also a one-off mm. and just the most genuine, generous, talented, loving human being next to my mom. I mean, I was it was meant to be. My mother started so exhibiting signs of Alzheimer's when she was probably 71 and she was a young 71. So mm, mm. never stopping full of energy and of yes. force. But because I was so connected with her, I really noticed there was something off and mm. repeating things, which we yes. all do, but mm -hmm. I mean, there, there was a significant difference. Mm. And I just remember the year that we figured it out was, or I did, it was on the Christmas. I think I told you before we started this uh, interview that I love Yorkies. Okay. Yes. This is the dog, not the chocolate bar, yeah. Not the, yes, yes, the dog, Yorkshire <laughs> Terriers, which I, I now know because I have two stepsons in Britain. They're sort of, you know, old lady doggies, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm a little bit of an old lady, but I've always loved them since I'm 16. No, they're lovely, yeah. They're not looked at like that here. They're very adorable. So anyway, my mother and I had a passion for them as well, and I never forget because... 
there was a store that was giving away buy something and you get these two kissing dogs that were Yorkies. And I thought, mm. I'll put them on top of her package because mm. it'll be just a cute little thing. Mm. So cut to Valentine's Day a couple months later mm. and she brought presents from my girls. And um, one of the presents were those dogs. And <laughs> she said, oh, you know, I got these. This is just a gift with a gift from the card store. She said, they're supposed to kiss and stick together, but they don't. They're broken, but they're cute. You can have them. And I said, but mom, I gave them to you. Those are what I gave to you. Mm. She was said, absolutely not. What are you talking about? What are you crazy? Mm. And I said, but mom, I specifically went and got, you know, I had no idea, but my heart started like palpitating. You know, it was just that mm. rush of, of like something is dreadfully wrong. Okay, just one and, that one instant really kind of got you worried. Oh, I knew. Mm. She was so indignant about it. And I remember going up to my computer and, and looking up to see if I was crazy. And, and then I looked up the card shop that she said she got these dogs from. And it was, there were bears. They were actually little tiny kissing bears that came with these Hallmark cards. Right. And I, when I went to her home, I found them in the closet. And I thought, she's addled. She's confused. Yeah. Something is mm. terribly wrong. And my family was like, stop it. You're being extreme. There's, mm, you know, people mm, forget. Mm, and I said, mm. no, something's wrong. And also she, because she's so vibrant and witty that she could wit herself out of anything, right? So when I finally convinced her to take her to the doctor and they did that silly test that they do, that antiquated test of like, you know, filling, yes. you know, who's president, what day yes. is it? And um, my mother was bouncing off the walls with the guy and you know yes what day is it well you what day do you think it is you know and who's our president <laughs> well who do you think our president is don't you know mm, <laughs> you know mm, mm. and then when she had to fill in the hands on the clock mm. and I saw her stop and stutter mm. again my heart and that was it I knew mm. and that's when she got diagnosed with mild cognitive impairment and um it was 16 years Pippa 16 years yes, of journey. Yes, it can be very long, can't it? I mean, I think my mum was about 10 years and other people I speak to have been longer than 16, you know, 19. I think somebody was 20-something. I mean, it, yeah, it can be. And in fact, a, a doctor, a consultant said to me once, in a way, she wondered, because we were talking about this, the way people survive for so very long. She said, in a way, sometimes I think that the dementia bulletproofs people. Um, I suppose in a in way, because I know, well, because I know another thing that I very much agree with you about is that the way dementia makes somebody unfiltered, like a child, is very lovely. It can be, not yes. always, but it can be very yes. lovely in certain circumstances, depending on the way they display that. But I suppose what she meant, this consultant, was that because they do that and because they see the world just for what it is, they're not quite so stressed. I think that's what she was driving at. But anyway, for some reason, she said, I do find that they often do seem to live very long. I know with my mum, we thought for about four years, I would go racing to her nursing home, which you call a care facility, but we call nursing homes, you know, and they'd say, oh, I think, you know, the end is coming. And then she'd rally and she'd carry on for another six months and another six months and another six months, you know, for, for about sort of three years she was at that kind of stage and yeah that's interesting because during covid which was so devastating for our yes. elder community yes. and i very much like you said i adore older people and babies and children because they are so 
filterless mm. and you you get what you get yes and you know they call it as it is yes. and but they're very authentic and i appreciate yes, that this is so the authenticity it. isn't it the genuine yeah yeah mm. it's beautiful so when i would go to visit my mom and we you know music was a very big tool in our lives yes and it opened the doors when the doors were closed i'd open them up with music and yes. so i always sang and always play my the piano as even if i don't play great mm. I was mm-hmm. appreciated. Listen, if you want to be appreciated, go to a nursing home for a couple hours. You will be the mo- the youngest, most beautiful, most vibrant <laughs> and lovely. And everyone will love you. And you'll walk out of there feeling like a queen. Mm. Yes, I've heard about your 94-year-old boyfriend. You did? I did. Jack. <laughs> I love Jack. Yes. Oh, my God, Kippa, you're amazing. Jack. Oh. Okay, so someone like Jack. Okay, I lost so many people that I've loved that didn't have dementia. Mm. from that lived in these homes and during covid well before covid there was this very cool i call them the click they were the 90 year old click mm. they all hung out together cool as shit as i say and they <laughs> were you know one of them was an ex-actor when he found out i was a producer he goes uh, i want you to write me a role and i said yeah. done and done don't let me down you guys <laughs> heard it right that was arthur yeah. well, arthur and ruth and the whole gang are gone and they, oh. they're gone because of isolation. Isolation. Yeah, absolutely. You can die of a, you can die of a broken heart, as somebody said, you know, and they just felt so abandoned. Oh, yeah. yeah. We can't live. Alone. I mean, that's what we do to, mm. to yeah. criminals. Yeah, put them in isolation. Mm. Yeah, it's a punishment. And I say my mother survived because of her Alzheimer's, because she lived in such a Zen state mm. that there was no... Uh, morning mm. of a past or what's to come. Mm. Didn't she miss you though, Susie? Didn't she miss you visiting? I don't know. I don't know. I think that yes, inside, obviously it's like, okay, this is what I say when people say, which my brother used to say, what's the point of visiting? She's not going to remember. Mm. Well, the point mm. is that they may not remember in the way that we remember, but it permeates their presence, their being, their soul. Mm. So it's an emotional connection. Mm. Yes, it's a nourishment. It's mm, a nourishment. Mm, mm. And so you you could see my mother, because we could Zoom once a week, mm. you could see oh. her shrink mm. every week. Mm. So yes, she did miss that love and miss that connection, no doubt about it. And she lost a lot of her mentality, her mental, mm, her mm, mentality, mm. as they call it. But I think that in terms of surviving, it gave them an edge. It gave people with Alzheimer's an edge. A little bit, because if you're fully copus mentis in the way that we usually frame the world, mm. you would feel so depleted, so, mm. so it's like futile. What kind of life is that? It's monotony. Yeah, it was terrible. I mean, obviously, and I have spoken to some American caregivers and family members, you know, since and during actually COVID. And yeah, I mean, I think you had it was the same really over in America as it was here. It was one of the worst aspects of the whole pandemic was, I say we call them care homes, nursing homes, was that this terrible crisis that occurred within them. And I know, which I do want to come on to talk to you about as well, that you then, that's one of the reasons why you, you it really highlighted to you the, the weaknesses within your own social care system in the US. So, because it yes. did, didn't it? It shone a very harsh light. Exactly the same happened over here. Anyway, just to go back though to your mum's Alzheimer's. So you realised something was wrong. So the, actually the film itself is about really, well, I know it's one day in the life in a sense. It but is, it's, it's one day. But it's the year she was living with you and everything, wasn't it? I mean, just 
go forward a little bit. So she lived with you for for a year then, a year. did she? Yeah. For a year, yes. So, gosh, we could talk for hours, but it's truncated. My stepfather passed away, her best friend, and he was 12 years older than her. And so when, when he died, they had just planned to go move into this other facility together because he did not have dementia, mm. but he was deaf. And, you know, his legs weren't working anymore. Mm. And my mother, her body was perfect. She was walking five miles a day. Mm. So she was his eyes and ears and legs. Right. And he was the brain. So together they made almost one whole person, right? Yes. Yes. So, But they were very dependent on each other. And so mm. when he passed, of course she went to the funeral. But every five seconds mm. after the funeral, she was like, where's Georgie? Oh, and I would have to say he died. Mm. Mm. It's heartbreaking. So my brother, who really didn't understand the disease and really didn't care to learn it, I'm not saying that in a negative way. It's just that is a profile that happens. It is mm. common. Mm. And so one person becomes the caregiver and mm. decides to try to figure it out. Because there is a stigma, and there still mm. is a stigma mm. on dementia and Alzheimer's. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think it's why you and I do what we do, isn't it, with our podcasts and things, is to try and reduce the stigma as much as anything else. It's mm. why I made my film, because I yeah. wanted people to understand that, that, you know, this is a long disease. Yeah. And we can either live in the next whatever it is, if it's a decade, if it's a year, five mm. years, mm. whatever it is, why do you want to waste that time? Right? And that person is still there. Mm. That mm. person is there. You have to just reach them in a different way. Just, and that's okay. Absolutely. And the film does that beautifully. Yeah. And you learn it. You learn it. If you don't know it, okay. But we learn it. I didn't know it. Well, you say that, actually. You say that, to begin with, you made every mistake in the book. You're very honest, which I really loved about Churchill. You're really honest about it. And then you said, actually, I, I, I noted this. I'm just trying to get it right. Because you said, having, you know, made every mistake in the book, you realised that, because you even thought, you said, I think this was another interview, you said... you. <laughs> made every mistake in the book, including thinking you could sort of kick Alzheimer's into touch. You could somehow kind of overcome it with sheer force of opposition or oh, whatever. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. I'm an A-type. I was like, Mommy, don't work. I would say to her every day, Mommy, okay, remember, you have Alzheimer's. You have Alzheimer's. What do you have? Mm. Alzheimer's, yes. Mm. And or what are we mm. going to do? We're going to kick mm. its ass. We're mm. going to get it out. Mm. You know, I mm. am going to roll up my sleeves, and mm. I, I, Susan Singer Carter, are going to single-handedly... <laughs> Beat this monster. Yeah. That's right. But then you realised that actually your mum wasn't going to get better, but you could do better. As you say, you can learn how to be better and you'll be able to lean mm -hmm. into your mum's Alzheimer's. Yes, lean in and not bring them back. Don't bring them into your world. I started and I make this comparison all the time on my podcast because I think mm -hmm. it's very profound mm -hmm. and not that mm -hmm. I came up with it, but mm -hmm. just the actual parallel between children mm -hmm. And not to infantilize our elders, but the journey that they're going on is very similar because as they're stepping backwards mm, mm, out of life, mm. they are losing skills, okay? Yes. They're losing skills, but they're not losing their soul. They are still there. Yes. And babe, children come into this life with their soul mm. and they're gaining skills. Mm. So when a child doesn't talk, we don't say, Oh my God, you have a mouth, talk, you know, no, or no, you have legs, we go with where they are. Yeah, absolutely. We go with where they are and we give them grace mm -hmm. and we allow it. And mm -hmm. we say, oh, well, that's the stage they're at. You know, mm -hmm. here's the, here's what happens at this stage. And we go with it. Oh, then, then they're fine. They're right on track. Right. Yes. And when someone is even old, just old period, as we get age, you know, mm -hmm. we lose skills, we get less sharp as hard as we try. And my mother, 
I would watch her, you know, and it felt so similar to when I was raising my children. I thought, oh, look mm -hmm. at mom is losing that skill. So how do I deal with that with Madeline, my daughter, or mm -hmm. Joey? How do I deal with that? And you realize that you meet them at the stage that they're at. Mm -hmm. And you oh, don't yeah. stress them out more because what's the point of doing Absolutely. that, you know? Mm, it's not going to make any difference. It's going to make it worse, in fact. Right. What's that movie with, um, we've got to talk about Kevin. I just watched it last night because I went to an, a screening of Nan Golden's latest um, ah, documentary, okay. which was brilliant. Mm. And um, she mentions that movie and I'd never seen it. So oh, I watched it last fabulous night. Fabulous book. And um, I'm not sure I've seen the oh. movie, but I certainly read the book and absolutely, I mean, and yeah, Lionel Shriver is an amazing writer. Wow, it's heavy. It's I know. hard. It's really hard, isn't right? it? Right? Mm. It's really hard. But, you know, there was a lot of parallels because the mother had such expectations of this child of hers mm. and not really suited to be a mother. Mm. And she basically ruined him and then, you know, regretted it because she didn't know what she was doing. So she made these massive expectations as did Nan Golden's mother on, on her daughters, right. you know, wanting them oh, to speak okay. full sentences by the time they were a year old. Well, yeah. they yeah. can't, yeah. they can't. Yeah. Right. So when we yeah. do that to someone with dementia, we say, come on, I just told you that. Mm. Come on, try to remember. I just told you that. What mm. day is it? What day? What time mm. is it? Mm. Who am I? Mm. At that point, they're checking out because it's too much. Well, it's upsetting, and they're embarrassed. isn't it? Mm. It's humiliating and upsetting. And, the yeah. whole thing. Mm. And they can't. And I try to say, like, I used to think about, okay, how does it feel when you walk into a room, we all do it, and go, why was I here? Mm. Absolutely, yeah. can't remember. Yeah. Why have I right? come upstairs? Mm. Yeah, what is that? What did I, what was I here for? It's so... It's the most upsetting thing if someone said, come on, you know. Come on, you know why you came up here. Well, come no, on. that's a very good point, actually, because when you forget somebody's name and everybody starts shouting out a name, you can sense yourself, can't you, in a very mild way. I mean, this is a very mild example of it, but I know, you know, when people start shouting out names, often will I say stop because just let me, because by them sort of putting the pressure on you, the word that you're yes. trying to remember or the name, in, you know, the name you're trying to remember recedes further. And then you say, no, let okay, it go, let yes. it go. Let's just carry on talking and it will come back to me. And nine times out of ten, it does, actually. And it's because you relax, don't you? Exactly. Mm. And one of the things I learned when I got into the community of Alzheimer's and started becoming, I, you know, I got very involved with it with my film and I became a spokesperson for Alzheimer's Los Angeles. And, and I went through their training because I wanted to really know more about it. And I, mm. one of the first things that was so... It was a revelation for me because it was it, when you speak to somebody with Alzheimer's, it takes their brain longer to process what you're saying. And it takes as long as maybe 20 seconds. And so give them that 20 seconds to process it before you Absolutely. move on. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a wonderful woman who's probably done one of the most of one individual over here and actually throughout the world, but over here certainly to reduce the stigma and to explain more about what dementia is. She's called Wendy Mitchell. She's written two or three best-selling books. And she says that. That's one of the things she says. Just give us a bit more time. Yes. Mm. And then they'll get it. Mm. And my mother used to say early, early on, she'd say to me, I'm addled when you get me. She used that mm. word all the time. And it was and and she would say, if you addle me, I can't think of it. I don't yes. know. Yes. Yes. And she'd say, when I'm quiet and calm, I can remember. She was literally telling me how to treat her, and I wasn't listening. Right, so she was teaching you. She taught you a lot, yes. didn't she? She taught you a lot she through. She did. Mm. 
He taught me so much. You know, losing my mom was the hardest thing. And the thing I feared the most in my life was losing my mom. And we used to joke about it. We'd say, we're, we're not dying. It's not for us. We don't do that. We're not going to do that, you know? Mm. And it wasn't that long ago, was it, Susie? It was, what, seven months now, eight months yeah, ago? Yeah, it was in July, mm. in July, mm. yeah. And I remember at three years old, I was petrified of dying because I didn't, I'm not the most religious person. I'm a very spiritual person. I didn't, and when I would hear, oh, we're going to heaven and there's going to be angels there. It's like, what, where, who, how, what do we wear? What do we eat? I want to know facts, right? And I would work myself into like an anxiety attack at three years old. I'm not kidding you. And I'd run out of bed and I'd be like, what happens when you die? And give me the truth. And my father was so practical and he would go, oh my God, you're, you got 97 more years, get back to bed. And so <laughs> for the rest of my life, I would just keep telling myself, you've got 97 more years. You've got 95 more years. You've got nine. Now, now it's getting closer and closer. Right. And mm. I'm thinking, oh shit, that doesn't work. That philosophy <laughs> does not help. Well, you're kind of counting down, <laughs> counting down. Yeah, this is not help. Mm. So I had to put my big girl hat on and my big mm. girl pants mm. when my Always started- tricky. That's always quite difficult, isn't it? Yes, but I loved her so much. And that's why the name of my podcast is so right, because love does conquer alls. Mm. And I mm. realized mm. I love her so much that I'm not going to let her go through this journey alone, mm. that I am going to do whatever I can mm. to make this journey the best that it can be mm. in the situation that we're in. And, you know, the night before she died, I said to her, and I know she could hear me. I know she could understand. And I just said to her, I love you so much. I'm so proud of you. You're so brave mm. and you've been through so much and you've taught me how to live. And now you're teaching me how to die. Mm. 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 And that's the best gift that she could give me ever. And I just adore her and I still adore her. And I'm, it's very hard for me to think that she's not here. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. But that's very beautiful what you said about her teaching you how to die and how to live and how to die. Because in essence, we were joking, people, you know, yeah. about that. And and my mother was always one to accept what's given to you, yes. right? Yes. So that you don't waste time. My mother was never into plastic surgery or, mm, or you mm, know, mm. and she she never subscribed to that. She just accepted who she was. Yes. And honestly, isn't that attractive? Yeah, very. And, and relatively rare actually because people are always dissatisfied no matter how beautiful no matter how clever you sort of the grass is always greener isn't it it it's it is oh very nice God. when you see somebody who is completely content in their own skin and their own personality in their own life mm. it's gorgeous because at that mm. point you can be generous yes it, it does invite that doesn't it of you right yeah yeah and that that moment in the movie when she goes says to the woman and we'll talk about it but when I mean that is the epitome of my yes mother. I know which moment you mean when she meets the girl as it were at, yes. at night yeah. and she says you're lovely have you looked in the mirror you're lovely and that's what she'd say mm. that's what she'd say to me if I was crying or yeah. I was you know whatever she said oh my god I want you to stop and go in the room, bathroom. I want you to look in the mirror and I want you yeah. to thank God for that brain of yours yeah. and that face of yours yeah. and everything else of yours. Yeah, yeah. So now's a good moment, Susie. You give, um, which you must have done, you know, your elevator kind of pitch on the tell us. It's a fabulous, it's a distilled sort of history story of your mum, isn't it? And her dementia. And it's put together in these three women that meet. Can you just give us this? short version of this beautiful film and then 
actually, when you've done that, we'll have a little listen to, there's a very good trailer, but I do recommend people watch the whole film, which is only 22 minutes, I think, in full, isn't it? But there's a trailer and we'll play a bit of that afterwards, but you just give a little setup to it first. Oh, sure. Well, the year that my mom lived with me, we had my caregiver that moved in with me, which was actually my daughter's nanny, our Erlanda, who became my mother's housekeeper at one point, and our family, and her husband, and everybody. And mm. she was such a natural, like when she would go to help clean my mother's house, sometimes she would knock on the door, and my mom would say, what are you doing here, right? I just paid you yesterday. And, and her London was so perfect. She would wait five minutes, ring the doorbell again, and then my mom would say, Erlanda, come in and have some coffee. (laughs) I've missed you. So she just had this natural thing and adored my mother, and my mother adored her by the end of their relationship, and you see it in the credits. She said, you're my best friend. I love you. You do. That's a lovely moment. Yeah, and they couldn't be more different women. My mother, Jewish from New Jersey with their Dooney and Burke bags and, you know, labels and everything just right. And Erlanda an immigrant and living down in South Central LA and and my mom would go on the weekends with her and spend a night because it Mm. was fun Mm. and go to church Mm. with her on Sunday and everybody and because you know the Latino community reveres the elders my mom was the La Reina which is the queen (laughs) yes (laughs) so what better what better right yeah absolutely what not to like so exactly. So when I moved my mom in with me, we were living in this this I had just gone through a divorce. Yeah, it was it was it was great timing, wasn't it? It was perfect timing. It couldn't have been better, right? And I had to move out of my home and, and I got into a, a live work loft. Oh a loft. Oh, this was okay. So you work there, you live there, and it's a loft apartment. Yes. Yeah. So you actually feel like you're almost like in a studio because there's um valet parking and you know a lot of people in the entertainment industry and the garage where you would park your car nobody parked their car it was an office so the doors would be open and you know so my mother it was actually perfect for her at first I thought oh my god what she's going to be because she's very social she's going to be talking to everybody yeah and what did I do did I make the biggest mistake you know yes I can imagine yes yes but everyone, I underestimated everyone, as you can see with the valet parker and that mm. whole, mm. that all happened for yes. real. Yes, yes, I remember what you mean. Yes. Everybody chipped in chipped like in. a community. And Everybody was laughing. wonderful, weren't they? I mean, it, that does seem, I mean, they I remember thinking in the her. film, wow, you were lucky. If this is true to life, you were lucky. Loved her. And when I finally went up to the one of them one day, because I know my mom would go, because, you know, at some point they can't drive anymore. Mm, but mm. she always would go, I have a Cadillac. Can you get it for me? And I know. She was so flirtatious, know. wasn't she? <laughs> funny. And, yeah. And at first they would say, we didn't park your car. The hell you didn't. I'm going to call the police. Where the hell is my car? <laughs> Well, it, immediately they understood. So the valet parker would came up with this thing. You know, well, it's been detailed you know and mm, you don't mm, want to waste you know don't want to mm, oh my god I love this kid oh my god mm, you're gorgeous and smart so yes. the thing was is that Erlanda would come back and with these regals of different stories because my mm. mom would hold court wherever she went yeah. one day she spent three hours with Snoop Dogg at Starbucks really who wanted to take her on the road I'm not kidding you I'm not kidding you oh, she Snoop started Dogg. singing with him the wow. Snoop Dogg yeah I suppose it's Los Angeles isn't it yeah, she's like, little mama, I want to take you on the road. Because I was like, where are they? It's been three hours. They went to get coffee. Yeah, my mom my mom and Snoop Dogg hit it off. Perfect. So then, yeah. So Elanda came back with this story, thus the film. 
And I would tell it to my friends and say, we want to hear an extraordinary thing that happened. Mm. And they all say, you need to film this. And I said, mm. yeah, I don't know if it's going to resonate with other people. It's so personal. And then I decided to do it. Mm. And um, the story really, the beginning part were all real parts that I sort of pulled into it. So people understood a little bit of the dynamics mm. of what it is like in the day in the life of someone with Alzheimer's, especially mm. at that stage. Mm, mm. And I say that was the hardest stage because my mom was straddling yes. the fence yep. of acceptance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and fighting it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was the hardest. My daughter and I were both, you know, my other daughter was in college and my other one was 14. And so we really watched this incredible journey that she went through and we went through with her. It was mm -hmm. difficult, but it was the best year of my life and the worst year of my life. I mean, you bring three sort of disparate women together very powerfully, don't yes, you? Yes, I did. What so what happened is, is that my mom went to spend the night with Erlanda and she, at 10 o'clock at night, she suddenly became disoriented like you can do mm. she didn't recognize where she was at and I'd seen that before I know what that looked like mm. and she got anxious and she got paranoid which is also a manifestation of yes. dementia of Alzheimer's where you don't understand so what you do understand is that you don't understand so it must be other people's fault yes something is wrong yes and what was frightening to her was that she loved Yolanda so much there were so many things in Yolanda's home that were my mom's because my mom was so generous that she would go, do you like that? Mm. Take it. Yes. Take it. But then when it, in that state of mind, it became no, she stole these things. I'm in harm's way. I got to get home. Mm. I got to get home. Mm. And my mom decided at 10 PM, I'm going home. Mm. She didn't know where she was. Mm. She didn't have a car. It's 10 o'clock and not the most, you know, in not the safest area yes. in Los Angeles. And so off she goes and Irlanda decides, because she was so intuitive about it, she mm. knew mom's going to get through this. If you push it, it's going to last longer. Mm. Let her go through this. And But she wanted to follow her safely so that nothing would happen. And in her robe and slippers, grabs her keys and phone and begins to follow her down the street mm. and to watch her. Where is she going and make sure mm. she's safe and try to entice her to, you know, mm. come out of it. And mm. she ends up calling over the police and the police mm. are wondering what the hell is going on. Mm. And you know, which is another problem that we all have is Absolutely. that, you know, our first responders don't understand, you know, what dementia looks like. So luckily this one police officer who was happened to be a female knew when she did question, but then when Erlanda said, you know, look, look at this picture, we're friends, mm, you know, mm, and she showed her a picture mm. on her phone and, and that woman had enough compassion to say, I got you, go, mm, go, mm, go, go, mm. go after her. So my mother ended up on the corner downtown, close to downtown, red light. And there's this tall statuesque woman standing next to her. And she mm. gives her the once over. And my mom is, was never shy to tell the woman when she was beautiful. Mm. And so she would, said, looked at her and goes, you know, because the woman looked back at her and she mm. said, what's your problem? She said, I don't have a problem. What's your problem? Mm. And she said, I don't have a problem. And, you know, and the, basically it was like, she said, um, no, I got this woman who's following me and I don't know who the hell she is, mm, right? Mm, and mm. and the woman, this tall statuesque woman happened to be a transsexual. And so she said, I don't think that woman is following you. I think she knows you. I think she's your friend. And mm. she starts questioning her and she said, you know, it's oh, you don't know my life. My mom says, You don't know my life. They're taking everything away from me. I've got nothing. 
really? You don't have children? Yeah, I've got children. Da, 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 da. They love you? Yeah, of course they do. What's not to love? And she goes, well, me, this is what nothing looks like. And she starts pointing to her face and then her breasts. Mm -hmm. And then she says, this fake, this fake. And then she points down further and goes, mm -hmm. and this, you don't want to know what's going on there. Mm -hmm. And she says, um, I'm a tranny. Mm -hmm. And my mother looked at her and said, who, who gives a shit? I got a big fanny. Let's go. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> you know, she gets frustrated. She doesn't know what's going on, this woman. And she says, what do you, you don't know me. Like, stop. I don't even know who you are. And she begins to cry. She says, I don't have anyone and no one, no one loves me and no one else ever going to love me. And my mother took, her mommy came over, her mommyhood. Mm, mm, and mm. You know, here's this six foot three woman and my five foot tall mom pointing mm. a finger at her and saying, now you stop that right now. Have mm. you looked in a mirror? You're, you're, mm. you're stunning. You're mm. gorgeous. Mm. And I love you. If nobody doesn't, it's they're crazy or jealous. As a filmmaker, you... In, I don't know how long that encounter takes on screen, but it's pretty short, isn't it? But it's incredibly yeah. emotive and it really very, very powerful to watch. And it's the meeting of two very different, but very, very human, genuine, open people. Yes. Meeting. Yes. Yeah. By chance. And yeah. I won't give away the ending, mm. but the three of them, change each other's life for a moment mm, mm, and really mm. that's all we have mm, mm, it is it is but it's um as with all these vignettes like a short story it's got so many more deeper ripple other stories other themes other messages hasn't it it's uh yeah mm. and what it, it tells me and everybody that as certain skills leave others get more sharp mm. sharpen and so you can see things so clear Mm. And so my mother saw her for who she was. She didn't care if she's a transsexual. And what was so gorgeous, and I say this not because I wrote it, but because I, I made a choice because I don't know if she said I'm a tranny or trans. I know she told her she was a transsexual, mm. but I, we're pretty sure she said tranny. And that was a, a risk for me because it's not an embraced term anymore. Right. But she chose to use that word because she knew that that would communicate to that woman of that age. Yeah, but she knew and then chose to because she knew that your mother would understand. Yes, and it's about that sort of understanding, isn't it, of of each... But Pippa, isn't that a great metaphor for what we're saying about how you lean Absolutely. in? She's leaning into my mom. She doesn't know she has Alzheimer's, but she says, I'm going to lean into her at age because she knows that she's not going to understand if she says transsexual. But Tran is going to communicate what she means. Yes. There are some people, aren't there, I think generally in life, who have that giving generosity of spirit and they do tend to lean in uh -huh. to, to others, just generally in life. And then it's other people, it's, it's intuitive. intuitive, and other people yeah. a little bit more stand back. And it doesn't make them better or worse, but, you know, it's just some people do seem to have that innate natural ability to lean in like that. And it's yes. very lovely when you come across it. Yeah. Also, you say as well, I think it was re in relation to the film that it was dedicated to the caregiver who stands lovingly beside the misunderstood and discarded and hopefully inspires us to do the same. And in a way, that's what you're saying about that encounter as well. There was something lovely about that phrase, I thought. And yes, don't dedicated caregivers do the most amazing job with very little recognition of yes. them. Yes. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Nobody knows that journey unless until you walk it. No, absolutely. I think it is one of those things, actually, because it can become completely consuming, can't it? And throw up an absolute 
myriad of different emotions in yourself that you know you're sort of unaware of at the time because you're just going through step by step day by day but sometimes it can yeah um and so this film uh my mum and the girl I mean did extremely well didn't it it really did were you surprised by its success yes I was I thought it was a good film and I think the first time I screened it which was at Raleigh Studio, our first cast and crew screening. And we had this amazing PR agent who, when he heard about the project, he said, I'm going to do all of your PR for you because I love that and I love this Mm. project. And we had Mm. Entertainment Tonight there and all of these, like, you know, classic older actors who came to support Val. And it was a packed house and all of my colleagues and my families and da-da-da-da-da. And everybody, one by one, I had no idea how it was going to be received said like with tears and hug and saying this is just a trailer where's the rest of the film where's the what happens to them what goes on we need to see you know and I realized oh my gosh this really touched a lot of folks we did it Dawn I said to my partner Dawn Teresa we we really did it we touched we touched them it is I mean I watch a lot of films and I'm sent films and books and goodness knows what as, as I'm sure you are now you've got your podcast and and I did I mean that's why I first reached out and contacted you because I don't remember how I came across it, but then I watched it, you know, I I got it, I downloaded it, I watched it 20 minutes out of my life and I was in pieces really. It was very moving and it takes quite a lot to get me like that because I think I've seen so much. You get a little bit more inured to it, don't you? Because, But that really did and the music, the soundtrack is very, very good too and you do a voiceover because you are you know, this is what you do for a living. It's just extremely well done. And in fact, now is perhaps a good time to play a bit of this trailer and people can see the complexity and yet the simplicity of this. That's my mom, the year she lived with me. The year I call my best and my worst. But either way, She's the love of my life. Bitch! I know you're in there! I knew she was getting worse. It's four in the morning. Where are you going? But I was not sending her to one of those places. You have to put me in a home and live your life. Oh, you're going. <laughs> oh. Not yet. You're not ready. Yeah, I mean, I hope everybody kind of got that. It's just such a wonderful, complex, yet simple film and I think that opening, the opening moments where it is Susie doing the voiceover, introducing her mother as the love of my life, and then it goes from this rather sort of sweet to then your mother, Norma, or Valerie Harper, you just hear her go, bitch! <laughs> and you, you you said something, actually. Just explain what always happens there right. when you show it. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, and that's what I hoped that people would do because I, I, you know, I said she's the love of my life. And then you hear, bitch, open the goddamn door. (laughs) Yes, it's such (laughs) a shock. Yeah, yeah. And and for the most part, everyone laughed. And if they didn't, it was because they were afraid, is it okay to laugh? Mm, And oftentimes, mm, if mm. I happened to be in the audience, if I just gave it a little laugh and gave them permission, Mm. and it was sort of a nudge, this like, yeah. Because it's so intense. Yeah. It starts off very intense with mm. her banging on the mm. door at four in the mm. morning. And, mm. you know, it was my homage to looking for the relief is to look for it. It's mm. okay. And even when she says, you, you know, whore, well, you don't get used to hearing mm. that, <laughs> you know. No, not as her daughter. <laughs> no. And so I tried to make a little bit light of it because 
she would say that she would walk into the room sometimes mm. and be confused mm. and see my daughters and think that they're my mm. friends, not my daughters. Mm. And she'd go, well, I see mm. you're busy with your friends. So I'll go home. Mm. Mm. And it is hard at the time. I mean, you've now distilled into a, a film with all these different layers of emotion and reaction. But at the time, it's incredibly even though you know logically in your brain that this is not your mum, it's the disease, but it's very hurtful and shocking. And so I think that's what you've done so well, actually, is to bring out these different strands, actually, in a way that, yes, is sort of wonderfully joyous, this film as well. You know, I call it that. I say it's a joy. That's so funny. You're, you're so awesome. We call it, oddly enough, a joyous look at Alzheimer's. Mm. Well, then, of course, you did call your podcast Love Conquers Owls. I mean, and, and just tell us a bit about your podcast, though, because as another fellow podcaster, I want to know, you know, have you had any standout moments or how does it go? How many have you done now? And I know you do it with your partner, don't you? Who, who as you said, is a partner. Not that it matters for anybody, actually, in a sort of platonic partner, but yes, long-term yes. friendship. Yeah, he's been my best friend. He's held my hand through two divorces, and we have always been best friends and creative partners. Mm. And when I got divorced, after I moved out of the loft, I was trying to find a place, and he bought this wonderful, gorgeous place that was so big and too big for him. And my a friend of mine said, why are you guys living apart? You stupid. He has a big place. You need a place get in there. I was like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And then a week later I was in <laughs> and I haven't left and I've changed this bachelor's world and we have so much fun. We laugh all the time. We're very creative together and it's a different kind of relationship and it works. It does. It's a very good podcast because it's got the two of you sort of um, sparring off each other. And yes. yeah. Yeah. And that's the way we live. It's all real. He's funny. He makes me laugh always. He always makes me laugh. And it's very similar to mine in the sense that you get people who are affected by dementia all sort of walk, you know, all the different ways, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Different yeah. guests. Yeah, and anybody that I think would be interesting, you know, I've had senators on, I've had, you yeah. know, and like my partner now who is co-producing my documentary with me, who was, I saw him portrayed in the miniseries Dope Sick during COVID. And last year, he was the attorney general who brought down Purdue Pharma, OxyContin. Yes, no, I yes, yes. Yeah. And so in the last episode of this miniseries, they talk about their next case, which is Abbott Labs, which off-marketed this drug called Depakote, which was really an anti-epileptic drug, to nursing homes to chemically tether dementia residents. And so my mother was a victim of Depakote. I had never heard of it. And they had had her on it at her assisted living. And I thought she was dying. This was eight years ago because what, what did she you was do like to her? Did it sort of drug her? Did it sedate her? Oh yeah, completely. She mm. became incontinent. She was immobile. She was in a wheelchair, which is easier for them to take care of, isn't it? Mm. 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 And so her regular doctor told me she was on a drug called Depakote. Do I want her on it? And that it's a black label drug for people with dementia. You can die from it. So I said, oh, for God's sakes, I had no idea. Yes, take her off of it. She came back to the stage she was at mentally before, but she never walked again. Never. And so I reached out to him, Rick Montcastle. I reached out to him and said, you know, and my brother also was addicted to OxyContin. And so he touched my life in two ways. And I said, would you please come on my podcast? And funny enough, he did. So that's the kind of guests I have that. And then I have someone who is, whose father is the love of their life and they're going through it now and they're an artist and this is how they're dealing with it. 
and just anything that I think that will be helpful. Exactly the same as me. Yes, and I try and, yes, to bring out the hope, actually, as well. You're a force for life. You're um, a life force. It's wonderful talking to you. And just, I, I thought I'd give you the opportunity, because I know you're working on your next documentary now, which is No Country for Old People. And I think that focuses on your mum's sort of last six months, doesn't it? And it's looking a bit more at the care system. And is, is that right? It is. It's absolutely right. Yeah. I didn't know that our system was broken until I got into it. And when my mother, and because of COVID, thank God for that, that was the silver lining of COVID, is that it pulled the curtain back on the yeah. deficiencies of our healthcare system, which are massive. And it is really is a for-profit, even in the nonprofit sector, it's a for-profit, profit-over-people industry. And our yeah. loved ones have become commodities. Mm. And they're not being well cared for because that would pull from the profit and we're understaffed, massively understaffed. And so I didn't realize that until my mom was taken to the hospital a year ago in January. And then the ping pong began and I was playing mm. whack-a-mole. I don't know if that's a game that you know in UK. But yes, it, absolutely. Yeah. No, we use the same expression. You have to play whack-a-mole and as fast as you put down one, another one pops up, you mean. Mm. It was unreal and I was overwhelmed. And Rick Moncastle, when he was my guest, he had for over 25 years, federally prosecuted and investigated nursing home fraud. And he was the first one to tell me, You're, this is a systemic crisis, Susie. You're up against, you can't possibly win. And I was like, this is horrendous. This is awful. This has to change. And I watched my mother be a victim to this. And physically, it was horrendous. And emotionally, it was horrendous. And we're robbed of her. And I just thought someone has to do this. Someone has to, because it's been going on for decades. When you say she was physically a victim, what, what do you mean? She was neglected. And so when she was admitted into the hospital, and I had just seen her 24 hours before, I knew that she looked unkempt. Mm. And my mother wasn't bedridden. She was in a wheelchair. Mm. When they admitted her into the hospital, she had sepsis. Mm. She had a stage four ulcer, mm, which mm. is a bed sore yes. in, in her lower back. I mean, stage four, it should never, people get beds, you know, sores, but that means that she was sitting in a chair for yeah. days without them moving her and in her urine probably, which all of that is a ripple effect and that causes pneumonia and that yes. causes, you know, so yes. it becomes, and then what that does is that it imitates, you know, oh, well, she's close to death. Well, yeah, she's close to death because you're not taking care of her. Yes. Yeah. And then she becomes much more easily dismissible because it becomes this veil. And I'm not being an alarmist or a, kind of a conspiracy theorist at all. These are all facts. It is a profit over people. And this is what happens. And because they're understaffed, and it's not our front people. It's not the providers. The providers want to do well. They mm. can't. They're suffering moral injury because they can't do what they want to do. So it's really a catch-22. And... There's been smarter and stronger people than me before, but I do know the power of storytelling. You certainly do. You certainly do, yes. So you can put that power to use here. Yes. This will be an homage to my mother, yeah. what she went through, and to all the Normas, all the yeah. Normas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I'm so with you on that, and that's exactly what I've tried to do because I think our stories are very personal to us. They're individual, unique you know, your mother is your mother and she's her, Norma. But in a way, they're universal, aren't they? Because it's happening, the same sort of things are happening all over the world. Yes. 
with old people, with people with dementia. Ageism. Ageism, ageism and people with dementia and getting neglected. Yeah. yeah. And so we are in our own, in my small way and your bigger way with your films, you know, making a difference there and shining the spotlight on it. So I think finally yes. I'd just like to say thank you very, very much, A, for coming on the podcast and B, for all that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No, it was thank lovely you talking so much. to you. Really, really enjoyed talking to you. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much. I knew that talking to Susie would be fun. I just hadn't realized how much fun. She is indeed a woman with a delicious appetite for everything, to use her own phrase. She's a life force, a woman of many talents and skills and vast understanding of dementia, factors that combine to bring about the singer Carter magic. So much of what she said resonated with me, the way she and her mum sustained their connection through a deep love for laughter and music, the way Susie found herself crossing over the bridge to acceptance when Norma went to live in her care facility, the way she learnt to lean into her mum's Alzheimer's, not constantly correct her. Most of all, I loved her honesty. Sometimes you meet people whose love for another radiates from them, even when that other person is no longer alive, and so it was with Susie. You taught me how to live, she says of her mum, and now you're teaching me how to die. You can find out more about the wonderful woman that is Susie Singer-Carter and her TV and film production company at www.gogirlmedia.com, where you can also see a trailer of her film, My Mum and the Girl, and get a glimpse into her forthcoming documentary, No Country for Old People. Her award-winning Love Conquers Owls podcast is available on all major podcast platforms. And you can find My Mum and the Girl on Vimeo, or even easier, there's a link through to it on my website, pippakelly.co.uk. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge and quash the myths surrounding dementia.